Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello there. Before we get to this week's incredible, wonderful guest, I want to mention that it's the start of my holiday cookie countdown. I'll be making day after day after crazy day of cookie recipes and sharing them via my Substack newsletter, which you can find at marissarothkopf.substack.com. Please subscribe and bake along with me. It would be a pleasure to have you. Now, this week, I am joined from Bahrain by Defense Intelligence Officer, Veterans Affairs Advocate, and person who's never baked before, the person who brings sense and joy to Twitter, Travis Akers. We take on what has been a grueling, disheartening, and truly disturbing week of news. And Travis manages to perform a sort of magic trick. He has a thoughtful discussion with me about it all, and yet also manages to offer up positive thoughts and hopeful ways of looking at things that, along with some affirmations, brought some real light into what has been a dark, dark week. The smell of melted chocolate and butterscotch chips as we recreated a favorite recipe from his childhood may have helped too, but isn't that why we love cookies? Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy. All right. Welcome, Mr. Travis Akers to The Secret Life of Cookies. It's wonderful. You're my first guest from Bahrain to join me here in New Jersey. It's just two capitals of the world come together. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. This is uh, quite a pleasure. Eight hours ahead of you. I'm living in the future here in Bahrain. (laughs) Yeah, here it's the middle of the day. It's beautiful and it's sunny here in New Jersey. It is for those listening who will probably listen to this on Friday night or Saturday morning or some other time. It is Thursday in our world, even in Bahrain. It's still Thursday. So we are here today. I kind of want to think about this hour as a little bit of a respite from the week. And whether that involves us sort of sorting out the stuff that's been going out this week so that we can all just like breathe a little. That's kind of what I'm going for here. So far, it's been a bit of a week and it's only Thursday. For those of you who, I mean, there may be four people on Twitter who don't follow you, but for those of you who maybe even aren't on Twitter, you are a veteran intelligence officer and you are a veterans activist. But I should also point out to all those people listening that you are a Department of Defense employee, which means that any of the opinions you state here are yours alone and do not reflect the Department of Defense. That is correct. It's a reasonable disclaimer. And and it is a week in which I've had a lot of strong opinions about things. And it's a little bit of a week. I'm sure you have yourself. Yeah, this past week has been, like you said, quite the week. In the U.S. globally, but specifically back home in the U.S., just such a, a wide range of topics and activities have occurred over this past week that have just taken us up on down on this roller coaster, mountaintops, valleys, and everywhere in between. Absolutely. And I kind of feel at the moment that I'm sort of in a ditch on the side of the road. I think I'm not alone in that ditch. But before we get to that, there's a reason I bake cookies all the time, because it's always there for us. And we, you are here on my show as a neophyte baker, aren't you? 
I am a, a, a virgin baker. I have never baked in my entire life outside of, I think, maybe like a Dofer's lasagna, which I don't okay. consider that baking. Well, I mean, like I say, like even TV dinners are baking because you have to remember like which part to peel back, you know? <laughs> And what parts not to put in the oven. And they always have those directions on the box. Like, don't put the plastic wrap in the oven because there are people who just might do it. So you are a virgin baker. You have been known to dance with laundry machines, which I think is something very special. And for all of you who don't know what I'm talking about, he may be a virgin baker, but he really gets it along with some washing equipment. Um, You can all find that on... on TikTok, on Twitter, and it's shocking. How did that happen? How did you start dancing with your dryer? The infamous dryer is actually right behind me. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a nonprofit organization called The Laundry Project based out of Florida. And their mission is to serve families in low-income areas that are low-income families These families oftentimes have to decide whether they are going to pay their bills or whether they're going to be able to afford to have clean clothes and take their clothing to the laundromat. So what Laundry Project does is they take donations from anywhere and anybody, and they use that to actually serve those families. So the families will come to a laundromat, and the money that is donated is used to pay for the laundry. The volunteers from the Laundry Project do the laundry, they interact and play with kids. If the family has kids there just to keep them entertained, it gives the parents a moment of respite to kind of relax, get away, and also to take that stress and that burden off of them, knowing that they can provide their family with clean clothing and continue to pay their bills. That said, doing the laundry the other day, of course, you know, sometimes laundry machines make a lot of noise. This just mm. happened to sound like it was a, a club with a DJ pumping the music. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Let's just dance with this. This is great. There's music in life. You can find music everywhere. And right now, my dryer is making music. <laughs> so that's how that came about. And I tied the two together. I said, you know what? This is a great way to raise awareness for the laundry project. It makes people laugh at my expense. So that's how that came about. I think it's very worthwhile laughing at your expense. We focus a lot on the needs of people who need food. We look at that. We've started looking, helping kids who are in food zones and are are hungry. When they leave school, the only food they get is during the day. I'm having a little problem talking, but I think people understand what I'm saying. But there are so many other aspects of life that are a trial. So I love the idea that trial is the wrong word to use this week, but are difficult. And that the, the idea that the laundry project works like that is fantastic. And I wonder, is it widespread across the country or is it something that people should look into creating in their own yeah, communities? It's, it's spreading. So it is based out of Tampa, Florida, but it is spreading countrywide. As a matter of fact, I just watched a local news story out of Texas this past week, where in San Antonio, um, professional soccer team got involved. They've raised interest. I've seen laundry projects in North Carolina, up and down the eastern seaboard. So it's definitely growing. And as awareness is raised, I think it's going to provide more opportunity for community leaders and those interested in serving their community 
to get in contact with Laundry Project and to figure out ways that they can bring this initiative to their local community and to mm -hmm. serve the populace and the low-income families there. That's great. I think um, one of the things that comes to me out of this week is in order to sort of save our own selves, we're, it's probably worth it to kind of help others to reach out. The Canadian Armed Forces in America had this wonderful tweet. I think you tweeted it. I retweeted it, which was, we usually come to you this time of year asking for you to send cards to uh, the military that, and because, you, you know, for Christmas and the holidays. But this year, do a kindness for someone. And that's... I loved that. They said, hug someone, do something kind, smile. That's a great account to follow, by the way. They always have positive content to push forward, which is rare for a military organization to be so focused and in tune on spreading positivity and raising awareness for social issues and issues that matter, such as veteran suicide, depression, mm -hmm. addiction. It's a great account to follow. And I love that you brought that one up because they do provide such inspiration for me as well. The part of the sentence that I liked so much was they said, lend a hand or lend an ear. And <clears throat> I was like, that's, I think we all need an ear. We all need cookies too. And you chose to make something from your childhood. What are we making today? Okay, well, growing up, my mother always cooked Christmas treats. She always made fudge. She always made marshmallow treats. But my all-time favorite that she made was butterscotch pastry. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, here in Bahrain, I wasn't able to locate all of the required ingredients. So we're going to kind of do a hybrid modified version today using Rice Krispies instead of the crunchy Lamein noodle. But we'll also add chocolate chip with the butterscotch. And I think it's going to make a good treat. I hope it, so. It, like I said, I'm not a baker, but I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I, these are great because they're also no bake except for like a few minutes in the microwave or a double boiler. Um, they're right. so much fun to make. And it really, there's something I, I um, cracked open this bag of. Nestle butterscotch morsels. And even though it says artificially flavored, emblazoned across the package, oh, it's just a smell I love so much. It reminds me so much of childhood. Basically, it does. As you say that, I'm throwing yeah. some in my mouth. <laughs> right. And I have to do a little ASMR for people where I they can hear the chips going into the bowl because it's really a bag of chocolate chips and a bag of butterscotch chips which even as a beginner, I think you can master. Is that correct? I think so. This is, uh, I've poured mine in. So I have a bowl of both the chocolate chip and the butterscotch chip. We also have, um, across the miles, have matching red spatulas, which is beautiful and festive. Um, we're not saying to the people at home that they need to have a red spatula, but it is joyful. Travis and I are now going to do the most difficult part of this entire recipe, which is using a microwave to melt chocolate chips or chocolate of any sort. And there's a trick to it. And the trick is the microwave is brilliant for melting chocolate. It's one of the best things it's made for, but to only work in 30 minute blasts. So you give it 30, I mean, 30 minutes. Oh my God, your house is 30 seconds. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. 30 second blast. And to mix after each blast. I'm sure it should only take about a minute in total because there's going to be residual heat in the bowl that will help it melt. What you don't want to do 
better to only use 10 second blast if you're worried because you don't want it to scorch. So I'm going to go to my microwave right now. And I'm sure, uh, dear readers, uh, listeners, uh, we will return shortly. And I don't want to gross anybody out, but I think my, my microwave sort of smells like a Stouffer's lasagna, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, podcasts are not scratch and sniff. Exactly. Do you get um, good food out there? Like, do you go to a mess hall or do you cook for yourself or what happens? I do. I, I will eat on uh, the military base at times. I cook myself a lot. So I will food prep for two days at a time. There's also oh, wow. a food service out here, very similar to like Uber Eats or Grubhub. And it's called mm-hmm. Talabot. And Talabot delivers from any restaurant in the entire country here. It's a very small island nation. So you can eat anywhere on the island. But I will also order Talabat and have them deliver, which is kind of sad because I always order bad food when I do that instead of cooking for myself. Maybe we should not use the word bad. <laughs> and just say unhealthy. It's delicious. <laughs> yes, it's delicious. Food that uh, brings you some joy that maybe Absolutely. your cardiologist your cardiologist might not like it so much, but that's neither here nor Or my there. personal trainer. She sometimes I'll post pictures of what I'm eating and my trainer will make me pay for it the next day. Well, you're lucky you have the trainer. <laughs> but I, I hate the phrase bad food because it makes it sound like it's a ju- you're like you're judging yourself. And I, I, don't, I don't like that. What is your favorite thing to order? Indian food. I absolutely love Indian food. My wife is Indian. Her parents mm-hmm. immigrated to the U.S. in the 60s. And so I am spoiled by some of the best Indian food in the world when I eat with my in-laws or when my wife cooks Indian food. Uh, so I order a lot of that out because I miss it from home. So it kind of fulfills like that food. homesickness. Yes, absolutely. We're getting some sort of melted here, but it takes a while because it's a lot of chips. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to get some as well. I, I jumped up to 45 second intervals. Yeah, I know. I, it, me too. <laughs> <laughs> when I told my wife what we were making today, she goes, you could not do anything more advanced, like some type of <laughs> cookies with actual ingredients. I'm like, babe, you've seen my cookie. Do you think <laughs> I'm prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to, and you have to talk at the same time. So, you know, it's a lot right. going on. All right. Now um, we're making some good progress here. Okay. It's the 45 seconds. I think I might only need one more round. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some meltage. The bowl's getting kind of hot to touch. The best part is looking at the spatula. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's turning a beautiful color. I think we can go from here because I think a little bit of chunk, chunkage, not a great word. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're sort of back and ready to go. I think I'm ready. This has melted pretty well. So in the time that has passed since we retired to our microwaves, we have discovered that it takes more than a 30 second blast three times (laughs) to get these things melted. And we upped our seconds to 45 seconds and we have some beautiful lush it looks like frosting oh my gosh it does and chocolate in front of us and i'm sure it's frosting my face too once i start licking this spatula so so we have done now probably the most difficult part how are you feeling about it travis 
you know, I think this is a good intro to <laughs> learning how to melt chocolate. <laughs> you put it in the microwave and you melt it. So, uh, so um, far, so good. Very easy. I'm going to measure out four cups of Rice Krispies as we're here. There are people out there in the internet world who do all sorts, add other things to these. Um, I grew up adding peanut butter to it. So you would melt the peanut butter <laughs> with the butterscotch and the chocolate. And I also, other people are like, cashews, cashews are the way to go. But to me, it's such a kid-friendly cookie that I, I wouldn't mess around too much. Um, I think that adding peanut butter would certainly, you know, add a, just a whole other complexity of flavor. But I like with having the butterscotch, I think that's going to add a special sweetness as well. Absolutely. See, look at you. You're, you sound like, you know, a professional chef now. And you've only been cooking. No, these are the things that happen when you watch like Bravo and the Food Network. And <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Top chef. Uh, so while I'm mixing this up, and this will take some time, and I do hope people can hear the sound because there's nothing better than the sound of Rice Krispies being smushed around in the bowl. You've been active on Twitter this week. I think one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me, and I know what it was in reference to, and I bet everyone can guess, Man, get a vasectomy and stay out of a woman's uterus. Yeah. So do I mean that literally? No. No. But I think the point <laughs> is made. I have one. I'm, I'll freely admit. That's just because my, my wife and I, with our family's planning, we've achieved our objectives. And <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that was, that was my way of really kind of showcasing that when legislation is being placed forth against a woman's body, they are taking that specific individual's freedom away, their rights away. And by saying men get a vasectomy, it kind of flips the script. And it really kind of emphasizes to men who might right now be in a position where they are not pro-choice, but they can still really kind of work around the idea that maybe they are pro-life, but they should not regulate a woman's body. If there's going to be legislation placed against me, then they're going to have second thoughts about it. So that was the idea behind that tweet was just to kind of really throw it and turn it back around towards, towards the men right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I tweeted some stuff this week that I felt was really pretty, pretty dippy sounding because mm -hmm. it was so obvious and basic. But I had to say it out loud, which is I don't understand why there are people out there screaming about their children having to wear masks and how it's an invasion of their liberties. And yet, one, think it's okay for them to regulate my body. And two, that they shouldn't regulate guns in schools. You know, or they yeah, shouldn't regulate you know, guns, guns in general because of what happened. And I, what do you, do you think there's an answer to the problem of random shootings in public? Because it isn't just schools. Mm -hmm. First, I express my most sincere and deep condolences to the families and loved ones before, who have died from Oxford High School. Uh, it's such a tragic, preventable loss of life. And for me as a father who has a son in high school and another son in elementary school, not only does my heart break for the parents and the families of those lost right now, but it really, it, it really increases my fear 
for my own children, especially in Florida, where gun violence is quite significant and where the gun lobby has a hold on the state legislature, specifically the NRA. And to go back to your question, you know, what can we do to address this? Well, right now, there is a party in power who holds both chambers of Congress, who has the White House, but yet we see no further action happening. And, you know, I don't know what else it's going to take to really get under the feet of our lawmakers and to take this seriously, because it's not just an isolated problem. This is this is a pandemic, you know, Absolutely. to use what we're currently in. This is a health issue. This is a public safety issue. And until we are able to divorce the gun lobby from Washington, D.C. and from state capitals around this country, I honestly and frankly don't think we're going to see any significant action that is going to prevent further loss of life from gun violence. You look at somewhere like Australia, who had in 1996 a mass shooting. And then immediately afterwards, banned automatic weapons and created very stringent gun laws. And there's not been one since. And to tell us, the, the gun lobby, the NRA, they want to tell us that you can't legislate, that this is a violation of the Second Amendment. Well, first of all, they've really perverted the Second Amendment with its original Absolutely. Intent. But secondly, they're wrong. We see that in developed countries that very restrictive gun legislation saves lives. Absolutely. The pessimist in me says that if we didn't do anything after Newtown, which we're coming up on the anniversary this month, if we didn't do anything after we watched an elementary school, it happened at an elementary school, then I don't know what would provoke us to do it. I remember when that happened and President Obama addressing the nation. And the moment he paused and was choking back his own tears, he had two daughters at the time. So he, as a parent, was able to understand the connection of being a parent. And you're absolutely right. If, if our country is not able to reconcile the fact that our children are being murdered, and to not want to take immediate action, there's just a very deep-rooted cancer that we have to address. And I don't know, like I said, unless we get the gun lobby out of the pockets of our lawmakers, I don't know if we're going to see anything tangible occur. I think we have the just the first group of people who might be work, beginning to work in government, who had to do drills in school, shooter drills, active shooter mm-hmm. drills. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I hate to lay it all on, you know, the future. I mean, Whitney Houston was sort of right. I believe that children are our future. Just to lighten it up a little. But I don't think you're going to convince a 70-year-old white man who's under the thumb of the NRA to do anything at this point. And I'm afraid to say that we have to like, Look at these kids who, you know, it's not just it, it, if it, a shooting happens in your school, it's beyond traumatic. Kids are being traumatized from kindergarten up, even in schools where there aren't shootings because of active shooter drills. You're absolutely correct. When my youngest son began 
first grade, the very first week of school, he had five, five active shooter drills. Five? And that's the first impression that he had of his new school was that there's a fear that the bad man's going to come in and shoot them. And rather than starting the school year off with positive, welcome to school, this is going to be fun, you're going to love learning, they're being taught that at any moment they could die. And it's so traumatizing. You know, some parents are going to their local school boards and falsely claiming that wearing a mask is traumatizing for their students. That's saving their life. What's traumatizing is when the code is called over the intercom and the school has to go into lockdown, lock their doors, hide in a closet in the dark and not know if they're ever going to come and see their mom or dad again. And they're texting their parents. I love you. I don't know if I'm going to come home. We have a shooter. That's what's traumatizing. That's actually traumatizing. I, I feel nauseated, actually, just thinking about your son's first experience in school being that five times in the first week. It's, it's really a beyond the pale to just to do that. We've also had a week in which, I guess it was almost last week at this point, maybe it was the beginning of this week. Maybe I'm lost in a morass of just like, <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed with the goings on. And you posted a beautiful picture of yourself with Representative Ilan Omar. She had a rough week and anybody who has a soul has had a rough week. Just watching this sort of the childish games that are turn out to be very dangerous of people like Lauren Boebert. And um, what, what did you think of Lauren's apology there? I don't think it was an apology. You know, in, in my line of work, working in the service, being in the military, I am honored and privileged to work alongside, to be led by, and to lead Muslims who have contributed just as much to the defense of our country as any Christian, any Jew, any Buddhist, any white person, black person, man or woman. And I live in a, in a Muslim country right now. A large majority of my friends that I've made here are Muslim. They are a loving people. They are compassionate. And they're just like you and me. They just want to love and live and to enjoy life. And it's so disgusting to me to hear the vile comments targeted at a Muslim woman, a woman of color, simply because of her faith. She is an American dream story to me, a refugee from a war-ravaged country who arrived in the U.S. as a teenager, succeeded in school, and is now a sitting congresswoman in Washington, D.C., And I met Representative Omar the morning, actually, of her swearing-in ceremony uh, with the 116th Congress. I was invited to go to the swearing-in ceremony that morning and just happened to be crossing the street, heading over to the Capitol. And I saw her and her film crew walking, and I had to meet her because I just absolutely loved her. I aligned with a lot of her beliefs. And so I ran over and asked for a picture and she grabbed my phone and she actually took the the selfie because I think, you know, campaigners and politicians, they've learned the art of taking the selfie with their supporters. So I actually got to be there uh, the morning she was sworn in, which was just a fantastic moment. 
but she has had a very, very difficult week, a very difficult year, and her terms in Congress are not getting any easier because right now there is no accountability for those who are just spreading these disgusting statements, anti-Muslim statements, bigoted statements, racist statements. They're not being held accountable. And not only that, they're being egged on by racist supporters and anti-Muslim supporters. So the apology that was issued uh, from, from Representative Bovert, I, I don't call that apology. If I make a mistake and I have hurt someone, I have harmed someone, or I have literally, in this case, put their life in danger, it is my responsibility to, without condition, apologize to this person sincerely and then to take time to sit down and listen to this person and why it hurt them, why it endangers their life. We're not all going to get along with policy issues. We're not all going to agree on matters of you know, social issues, economic issues, foreign policy. But one thing we all should be able to agree on is that we share the human experience, that we're all going to have challenges that are similar and mirror each other, and that what we should be connecting is our efforts to move forward and to progress as a country to bring forth policy and initiatives that will help the working class people that will bring health care to everyone, that will bring education to everyone and provide an equitable environment. But with the racist vitriol, the, the statements that are being made, that's just taking us back so far in the years. And to me, like I said, it's an honor and privilege for me to work beside Muslims every single day because I know what a loving people they are. Right. And they're, they're human. They're just humans. That's all they are is just humans, just like the rest of us. You know, I, I, this idea that it's, it's crazy. The thing that you just said really answered, you answered my question without um, even knowing that I was going to ask the question. But like I've said, this week has been, I think we've, a lot of us have come out this week feeling very wounded and bewildered. And none of it is anything that is surprising, right? We know people want to overturn Roe versus Wade. We know that the Supreme Court has turned into a bit of a theocratic court. We know that people don't want to protect themselves from COVID. And we know that humans are very much like that. But the problem is, and you know, we know that Donald Trump is now suing E. Jean Carroll and the Department of Justice is defending him tomorrow in a trial against her. We have Mike Pence saying, yeah, I didn't agree with Donald Trump, but we've done so many great things for the country. And we have the Democrats sort of sitting there going, elect Democrats to protect abortion rights. And the GOP tweeted this week, life is precious. Republicans stand for the sanctity of life. And they don't seem like they're ever going to come together. I did elect the Democratic senators. The Republicans are only looking out for one part of sanctity of life. I'm not sure how we kind of keep ourselves together. And that's sort of what I, you've been through a lot in your own life. I know that you're an alcoholic and that you have been now sober for over two years, right? It's a tremendous. Just over two years and two months. Amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank (laughs) Um, you. But has that given you, any perspective on how to kind of 
keep our stuff together in a time like this when it seems like it's all falling apart around us? Yeah, well, for me personally, having the clarity and the vision of what's actually happening around me, (laughs) being sober, has really allowed me to better understand the issues and Mm -hmm. and to better learn how to listen to marginalized communities and to hear what their needs are and then to ask, how can I help fulfill those needs if you want it? But that same can be applied to alcohol support groups. I recovered through a 12-step recovery program. And in my group, it's as diverse as any organization you would see. Uh, You have people on the right, people on the left, you have men, you have women, you have gay, you have cisgender, you have straight. So you have almost every walk of life in that room, but we're all united around the central pillar of sobriety. And how do you apply that in a political realm? Well, you have such divisive issues where they're complete polar opposite of the spectrum. And when it comes to something such as abortion rights, it's really difficult to find that central pillar where you can at least agree on something. I think we can all agree that life is valued. I think where we begin to differ is what does that look like? Because for me, I believe life is valued when you protect our students from gun violence. I believe life is valued when food scarcity is addressed and children are not going home hungry. I believe life is valued when the death penalty is abolished. I think assisting refugees, welcoming in refugees from Afghanistan, that is what life valued looks to me. Whereas some others would argue that life value, it almost ends at birth. And it's more that they're pro-birth than actual pro-life. Right. So where, where can we come together on that? It's just that we can all agree life is valued, but then we have to really think and strategize and sit down and talk on how, how do we demonstrate that? How do you right. show that that life is valued? So like the alcoholic group, we all agree. Sobriety is keeping us alive. And there's going to be different paths to that. There's a lot of different circles of thoughts and schools of thoughts and sobriety. Some believe you can smoke marijuana. Some believe you can't. Some believe that once you feel that you're cured, you can drink in moderation. Some believe that you can't. So there's a lot of different conflicting points there as well. But it's just, it's so tough in the political realm to be able to find those central issues where we can at least even agree on that. It's a true challenge, which makes me think that it really has to start at a grassroots level right? Where we just have to sort of work together on various things, you know, uh, whether it's the laundry project or whether it's on women's rights, which, you know, what is it like an enormous percentage of Americans believe that abortion should be a woman's right to choose. It shouldn't be regulated by the state. And that includes all sorts of people who might not want to admit it out loud because people think they have certain belief systems, right? So if, if we can bring those groups together. I'm sorry to sound like I'm living in some sort of fantasy world where like, you know, we all need to like reach out hands across America, but I don't really know what else there is. Yes, we have to hold our politicians accountable, but, you know, and we have to vote in and vote out and really work for this, but there, 
it seems to me that it's just not enough right now. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to discover and establish this utopia world where everyone is living <laughs> in harmony. <laughs> it's just aggregated as well from media who are pushing stories for their clicks, who have editorialized the news so much to a point that it's not even news anymore. It's just an opinion feed 24-7. That is certainly not helping in healing a wounded nation, a nation that has never truly healed since the end of slavery, since the, the, the right for women to vote. And while these moments are milestones in our nation's history, which is a dark history when we examine it closely, we have these milestones where these accomplishments have been made, but healing is still not happening. You know, it's like treating cancer. Yes, you can, you can enter a, a sort of phase of remission, but unless you continue to monitor and have your checkups and treat as the doctors have planned for you to treat, it's, it's just going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back until, unfortunately, the, the patient dies. And that's kind of where we are in America right now. It's, are we ignoring our treatment plan? Did we think we were in remission, but we're not? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're from Florida, right? I am. The Sunshine State. You seem kind of like you're full of sunshine no matter what. So I think that's nice. Florida could use some new uh, faces politically. Have you ever considered that? (laughs) You obviously know you are not the first person to have ever asked me that question. (laughs) (laughs) I am nearing the end of my career with the Navy and with DOD. I will be moving back to Florida after I leave Bahrain. And there, there has been thought into how I can continue serving my community out of uniform when I get home. My wife and I have discussions of what the next steps look like. Some community leaders and I have had some very uh, candid and pointed discussions as well. So we'll see. I think there's a lot of opportunity to continue serving my community, especially the Jacksonville area in Northeast Mm -hmm. Florida. And you're absolutely right. I think we do need some younger perspective in elected positions. Though I'm not going to break any news on your podcast today, but there's definitely some thought and prayer going into what the next steps are. I I appreciate that thought and that prayer. I New Jersey, in a sense, is very close to Florida in that way that we can just like to hop on a plane and get down to Florida. And lately, I haven't really wanted to go to Florida. A bunch of political leaders there who just don't make me feel like I want to hang out there. And I know a number of people, um, you know, feel that way. I might change my mind if like, you know, you got into politics there, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No, no pressure, but uh, I need a vacation. Um, <laughs> we have to wrap up now. First thing I want to do is I think we need to taste a spoonful of this. What people at home don't realize is that while we've been talking, um, Travis and I have been ladling delicious morsels, little, I, maybe they're not even haystacks. Maybe they're nests. I'm not quite sure <laughs> of, <laughs> of lobs. Um, I don't know of this. And I have, I haven't tasted one. I don't know. In 10 years, I'm going to try one. It's a good treat. I think once these have been refrigerated, this is 
going to be good. I'm this is going to be so bad because I'm just going to continue eating <laughs> all night. <laughs> it's it's like the best sort of candy. It's like the ultimate crunch bar, something like that. And I, I love it. It's got the flavor from the chocolate and the butterscotch, but it's got the mm. texture from the rice krispies, so it has that crunch. It's just yeah. the perfect little sweet treat. Then my brain just sort of exploded from the sugar, and it's like, please, I would like more of that. <laughs> um, as I've been sort of like dancing around all the topics this week and talking about how I've been wanting to sort of lay quietly in a ditch and sort of ignore everything, but I know I can't. I really enjoy your spirit, I think is one way of saying it. And I really appreciate you coming here and offering some words of kind of guidance and hope in a, in a not so hopeful week for a lot of us where we really, I don't know about you, I came away from listening to the Supreme Court yesterday, except for the beautiful Sonia Sotomayor, wondering what century it was and whether I really mattered. This leads me to something that you do, I think, every day, every week, maybe, is that you post on Twitter, and I know you probably say it in your regular life, but a, a sort of, I don't know, would you, what would you call it? A positive statement? Maybe, um, maybe like a... An affirmation catchphrase. An affirmation, <laughs> yes. And do you do you um, know it off the top of your head? Just to kind of leave us with it. <laughs> Absolutely. It? This has been a this has been a, a kind of a dark week, and you know we we kind of navigated through some very heavy topics today as we're making our our treats. But it's so important that we balance the negative in the world with the positive. And that we find those moments of light in our life that we can just hold on to. And that when there's clouds above us, that we still look for the sunshine. So what I like to tell people and remind people, because they feel so beaten, hurt, abused, and lonely right now, is mm -hmm. that you are beautiful, you are cherished, and you are loved. And the world is a better place with you in it. It's nice to hear. You also, and I thank you for that. I think everyone who listens will appreciate it. You also say something else where you say, in case you've not been told this week, I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm reading your words back to you, so forgive me. I'm proud <laughs> of you. You are doing your best and that's good enough. In fact, you are doing better than you think. I think that message, especially for people who resist positive statements about themselves, can't take it to compliment, can't really accept something being positive about themselves to remind people that you're doing better than you think is a really reassuring and hopeful statement. Yeah, so many people beat themselves up and they don't realize that they are doing better than they think. When you have a bird's eye view and you're able to see someone else's life or if you just step back from your own, and you, you step away from where your feet are for a moment and then step back into where your feet were, you realize that, that, you know what, I'm doing better than what I thought. Of. And that's what I want people to understand is not only do I value them, and I don't just say this generically, I will type the same phrase when I post <laughs> these, but I mean them every single time because when I type them, there are specific individuals in my mind who I'm thinking of when I type that, who I know don't feel that they're doing a good job, but I know they are, and I know that they're doing better than they think. Thank you for a transformative hour with me today, not just 
for the sugar rush, but also for the emotional rush, which I think is um, much needed this week. And I thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have thank a very so happy December. And you get to go home soon? I do. I will be leaving um, in just under two weeks now. I'll go home for Christmas, spend time with my, my wife and my two boys, and we'll have some family time. I'll come back out to Bahrain and spend six more months and then finally return to the U.S. for good. Oh, that's good. Let's see. That's 2022. Okay. Well, um, we'll get on. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, thank you very, very much. Enjoy, share the treats, and thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much to Travis for joining me today and no bake baking with me. For the recipe, go to my website, marissarothkopf.com. And remember to subscribe, please, and thank you to my newsletter at marissarothkopf.substack.com. Or hop on over to Twitter if you can't remember the address and you'll find a link or 40 in my feed. Go buy some butter and I'll see you on my Substack.